Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners and podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe that it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, and I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. You guys are here for another great week on the Digital Agency Show. I'm excited to welcome Brennan Dunn to our program, who is the co-founder of Right Message, a software that makes it dead simple to personalize your website in real time. He's also the founder of Double Your Freelancing, a community of more than 45,000 freelancers and agencies. Uh, and I know Brennan Hill also um, has run his own uh, seven-figure agency in the past. So uh, you guys have probably heard of Brennan. If you have not, you've been living under a rock within our space. But we want to go ahead and welcome Brennan to our show. Hey, what's up, Brent? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Um, so let's just uh, focus in today a little bit on personalization. I know this is what your new software, Right Message, does, and I definitely want to talk more about that later. Um, but maybe give our listeners a quick uh, uh, cliff notes on what personalization is. Yeah. So what I mean, personalization, specifically when it comes to selling anything or convincing somebody of something, uh, really all it means is you're taking into account really three different things. The behavior, somebody, you know, somebody's behavior, what you know about somebody. So maybe demographic or firmographic information and relationship history. And you tailor what it is you're trying to get them to do based off that. So, I mean, as consultants, as agency owners, we all know that when a client comes to us, we don't just have a pitch we read off of. We take into account maybe who referred them, what kind of project they're looking to get built, what kind of industry they're in. We cross-reference that against our own experience. So if it's a company in the finance space, we might talk about you know, financial projects we've worked on in the past. And we all do this naturally, right? We all, it's like anytime I go to a conference and I go to a good amount of conferences, if I'm at a uh, developer conference and somebody asks me what I do, my answer will differ from when I'm at a business conference and I get that same question or when my mom calls me up and says, so, you know, I was talking to a friend, what, what exactly do you do again? I, I never know what to say. 
the the response right changes based off of who we're talking to, what we know about them, and so on. So personalization in a nutshell is really just being able to do that really at scale and automated. So instead of in individual one-off conversations, what can we do to make it so our websites more or less respond to the inputs that we're given? Um, and you know, companies like Amazon do this very well. Uh, Netflix obviously takes into account what you've watched and it recommends uh, films based off that. Um, even you know, if you want to go extreme, Facebook, you're seeing your personalized newsfeed. I'm not seeing Brent's newsfeed. I'm not seeing you know, someone else's. I'm seeing mine. Um, so what what I've been trying to do, what I've, what I've kind of my background has been over the last few years has been um, how can we do this when say we're trying to sell somebody through you know on a sales page or trying to get somebody to opt into a newsletter or something like that. Um, so when I when I say personalization, it's really just that it's looking at it's responding to inputs and changing the message, the imagery, and everything else accordingly. And I think that's something that we uh, maybe we automatically do in our one-on-one lives, and we kind of take it for granted. Uh, you know, we just kind of that's a natural way to have a conversation. You obviously talk to your mother differently than you might talk to a potential client who's in our industry, right? That's right. I think a pretty natural uh, thing to do. When did you first uh, become aware? of this as uh, something that um, was important? I mean, I think there's a big difference between naturally doing this and becoming aware of this as a uh, something that you actually want to pursue and, and, and build into your business. So the first exposure, I guess, I had to it was, actually, it's when I was back in college in the early 2000s, I, um, I partnered up with a mortgage broker who convinced me, I was young and naive at the time, to do some work for him where I would basically build him landing pages, run ads on my, you know, using my own money uh, to this landing page and then generate leads for him. And then any conversions he got, he would split the revenue with me. So it sounds so, like a, a smart mortgage broker, right? He's he's convinced yeah, you to put exactly. up your own money for his business, right? <laughs> find, find naive web developers, and you know, in college and get them to do stuff for with very with basically no risk on your part. Um, anyway, what was interesting was in learning about how this guy did business and everything else. I learned that a lot of these people, a lot of these mortgage brokers, used uh, companies like LendingTree, where their whole you know the whole when banks compete, you win. All that means is that when you fill out their lead form, they sell it to a bunch of different companies that all sell the same thing, and then. Um, Anyway, if from the perspective of a mortgage worker, they're very poor leads, right? Because they're they've never heard of you, they don't know anything about you, and you're just some some person calling them and trying to sell them on something that five minutes earlier, somebody who does exactly what you do did the same thing. So what we did, or what I ended up doing was I when I left college, I started a business that kind of did this at scale. So I partnered up with a friend of mine. We ran nationwide ads. And what we would do is if somebody clicked on an ad of ours from, say, Arizona, we would basically find somebody in our customer database who was from Arizona, a lender, and we would then brand the landing page with their photo, their logo, their paragraph biography, and so on. And then everything else would be more or less the same. And our customers love this because these were leads that were generated that 
were, you know, they'd already seen their branding. They already saw who they're going to be speaking to and so on. Um, so I guess in a weird way, that was my first foray into kind of dynamic content generation, if that makes sense. Um, but then the mortgage bubble burst and that business was gone virtually overnight. Uh, so this was again, mid, mid two thousands, right? Um, that's when I went out, started freelancing, which then turned into an agency. And that's, when, I guess when I got decent at, uh, sales, I guess I had to. And, um, you know, that's, I, I didn't take it, like you said, I, I think I took it for granted that we do what we all do, which is depending on, we, we kind of tailor what we say based off who somebody is and maybe who referred them or, you know, did they come to a, a, an event of ours and maybe we have some back history with them? Well, how can we, you know, how do we mold this kind of more or less standard way of selling somebody on project work? So did that. Um, I won't get too deep into the agency stuff uh, now, but basically, you know, like all of us, I learned how to uh, convince somebody to pay us lots of money to build stuff for them. But I ended up actually uh, getting a little bored with the agency uh, and I wanted to sell software. So instead of building software for clients, I wanted to build it my own software that I would then sell to ideally a lot of people at scale. So that got me started with a company called PlanScope, which is a project management tool for freelancers and agencies. I did that. I struggled to sell it like you know, any new SaaS owner. It was really difficult to get people to... Um, I had no audience at the time or anything. So it was hard to get people in front of it. It did kind of okay. And then I started creating content for uh, freelancers and agencies, hoping that maybe that'll get people to sign up for PlanScope. Well, it didn't exactly do that, but it did get people interested in the content itself and the training itself. So that led to W Freelancing. And this is where things got really, I think, um, serious. And I, I bet there's some even overlaps with a lot of the stuff you're doing, Brent, in that I realized designers are different than developers, are different than copywriters, are different than marketers, and so on. And there's different reasons that people would seek out, say, the content that I was creating. Some people were just starting out, they were still salaried and they were thinking of starting their own small freelancing business. Others were doing okay, but they wanted to start pricing on value. Others wanted to scale. And I would do different things that would collect information like this. So let's say I have a lead magnet that's an email course. I would ask people what kind of work they did. Are they a designer, Are they a developer, Are they a writer, and so on. And I'd ask this. And then I would just tweak examples. I would tweak testimonials on product pages and so on to reflect this. So if you're a designer, you would see testimonials from other designers and you would see language that designers use and so on. And I was able to, in a way, make my website basically designed for designers. And that started to work really, really well. Um, so I assume when you're first doing this on W your freelancing, there is no platform. It's just you all going in there. And I think right. I've, because I follow you on Twitter and sometimes I see you, you know, getting into, I don't know, tw tweeting code or specific things that you're working on. And uh, I can't remember if I saw this specifically or if my memory's tricking me, but, uh, you know, just a lot of if then type of statements of like, if you're this yep. type of person, then output this. If you're this, output this. And it was very like, you know, it was basically like if you've ever done Mad Libs, you remember those, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the fill in the blank type things. It's pretty much that where, you know, I would change the headline to be this if you're a designer. Mm. Um, and I would do a lot of that. 
Because I realized this actually, I think the first time I realized the importance of this was when I was selling PlanScope. I was targeting freelancers and I was targeting agencies. And I remember I had a conversation once with an agency owner who said, there's no way software that is marketed to freelancers could help us. We're a 10-person agency. We're not a solo working from Starbucks freelancer. We have different demands, I guess, right? And after I told them, well, you know, it's project management software. Freelancers and agencies both manage projects. Maybe the difference is and scale, maybe there's multiple people in an agency working on a project instead of a solo person. It's more like, you know, task management is pretty standard otherwise. And he ended up getting that, but one thing he recommended to do was, he was like, why not just have like planscopeagency.com or something like that, right? Mm. That was separate from the other site. And then you could then focus getting the agencies to go over there and then the freelancers to go over there and you could they could all go into the same product, right? Um, so that was kind of that first, I never, I didn't act on that, but that was that first kind of exposure to that, that got me thinking. And then there was a pivotal moment where my main course, uh, double your freelancing rate, I had back in the day, the first people who signed up for, I guess, my list were people like me. So they were mostly web developers and then a smattering of designers. And I remember somebody emailed me out of the blue who was a copywriter she said that a friend of hers had recommended the course to her, but she was looking at the sales page. She saw a bunch of testimonials from developers and designers. And she emailed me saying, like, can this help me? You know, I'm a, I'm a copywriter. I'm not seeing myself on the sales page. I, don't, I can't put myself in the shoes of the sales page. Can this actually help me? And I was able to save the sale. I was able to tell her, look, it's agnostic about what you do. It, that doesn't matter. It's, about, it's basically about B2B sales. Um, it doesn't care what you do. And I was able to save that sale, but I knew for everyone who took the effort to write an email like that, there's probably a lot more people who thought that and closed the tap. So that's what got me thinking, well, you know, I'm a developer, the Chrome or Safari or whatever, it doesn't care if you're looking at netflix.com or my website. Why can't I just say, have some logic that says, if I know this about them, because I have this data in my email marketing app, and I can get the two in sync. If I know this about them, then show testimonials of other copywriters. And so I tried that. And um, the results have been very good. So that's what led me to think, well, I got, this got on the radar, let's say, of bigger fish that were thinking, well, we could see how this could help us too. And so I ended up creating a course on automation and personalization, and then I basically threw a bunch of JavaScript code that I had done for my own site in that course and said, have, you know, have at it. But then uh, the number one complaint about the product was, I don't know what to do with this, right? Mm. What do I do with all this code? So that's what led me to find a co-founder and start right message. And I guess the rest is history. And I, I like that, um, you know, it came up for you of somebody suggested creating a, a separate site for PlanScope because I know that's a really common uh, thing for agencies or anybody that with a freelance or agency business when they start thinking about niching and maybe yeah. they have this history with a generalist agency brand they don't want to alienate and stop the lead flow of all the different types of businesses that are contacting them but at the same time they realize that their site is not communicating effectively to establish themselves as experts with a certain niche and 
uh, you know, just the thought of spinning up a whole new brand or a whole new website just to communicate to an audience uh, takes a lot of work. Well, it's exhausting. And, and not only that, it's unnecessary often in that you don't need to, I mean, sure, if you have a very focused niche product uh, service offering that's very specific to, say, healthcare, um, you might not be able to get away with just tweaking a headline and swapping out some case studies and swapping out a picture or two. Um, you might need to do a little more. But for the most part, a lot of us could benefit. I mean, niching works well because people want to hire the low risk made for them product or service. And, you know, if I'm a small medical clinic and I'm looking at web designer A who happens to have a website that's very focused on how she helps uh, medical companies get more patients. And then I'm looking at designer B who's a generalist web designer. Well, even though maybe A is more expensive, in my mind, they're probably lower risk, right? They're, they're more of a sure bet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us do that or we think about, well, maybe we could go out and have, you know, variations of our site or different subsites or landing pages or something. Um, and that works. I mean, obviously there's a reason people do that, but what I'm really interested in, and, and one of the reasons I, I started getting into this stuff was more subtle, less, uh, less kind of pronounced methods of achieving the same thing without needing to spin off multiple sites or anything like that. So maybe it would work better uh, if you're in, you know, not trying to personalize across huge niches, but let's say you are uh, focused on the healthcare niche, you could identify if this is a clinic or if this is an, an insurance company or if this is a, you know, a group of doctors. I mean, you could figure out what those nuances are and then tailor some some language just slightly differently for those different people that are kind of in that same space versus maybe trying to, you know, communicate to two completely different niches. I mean, you know, like for you, for example, copywriters and designers and developers, as long as you're talking about this anchor of freelancing or running an agency business, most of the fundamentals are the same, but you know, the nuances may be a little bit different. Yeah. It just, it, it eliminates, I mean, the goal of any sales effort is to wherever possible eliminate doubt. Right. So that's why I think a lot of us focus on really good case studies and testimonials because it allows, you know, prospective clients to think, okay, they, they've done this before. Here are some of the results that they've achieved for other people. Maybe they could do that for me. But if the person they're reading about, let's say, is unrelatable to them, if they're in a certain industry and then some, every other case study is some other industry that they have no no, you know, relationship with or understanding of. Um, that people generally want to, again, see themselves, right? So that's, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of these things where what, what I've seen the most effective use of personalization tends to be more subtlety, you know, swapping out testimonials, swapping out a headline, changing bits of text, not in complete re-architecting projects or, or going through and thinking, I need to build a new site from scratch which is, I think, what a lot of people think they need to do when attempting to speak uh, to multiple personas. You mentioned Mad Libs earlier, and I think when I've taken a look at uh, your software platform, uh, I definitely get that vibe that there is certain content that you just kind of identify on the page, whether it's a keyword or a customer avatar or, or like you said, testimonials that you're kind of swapping in and out. Um, and, and so you found like that little bit of 
customization measurably changes how people respond to you. You're not talking about creating completely 100% different homepages. It's just like communicating to that one word that that avatar resonates with is enough to get them to say, oh, you know, double your freelancing is talking to me, the copywriter, not just, you know, anybody, right? Yeah. So for an example, um, uh, for those of you, if, if you're familiar with content upgrades or the concept of a content upgrade, um, it's basically you're on a blog post and there's a lead magnet on that blog post that directly relates to that article, right? So say it's an article about starting a business, the lead magnet is get the checklist that accompanies this article about how to start a business, right? Those get consistently crazy high opt-in rates. I mean, oftentimes you get 10 plus percent of people who are reading that article acting on that content upgrade, which is huge. When you compare that to the average one to 2% opt-in rates that people get with the, you know, random get my ebook or join my newsletter type thing, that's very, very effective. But what I've seen and what I've done is from on my own site, I would do two different things. I would have a, a standard lead magnet an email course that I promote. And I would change the way I describe that email course based off of two factors, one of which is uh, industry or not industry, but like the, the kind of work they do, business type is what I call it. And the other is the kind of content they're reading the most of. So for example, let's say somebody is on a web design blog that writes for web designers and they link to an article about proposal writing that I had put on my site. What I'm doing behind the scenes is I'm looking at, well, you know, this domain sent me traffic. This domain is made up of web designers. So I'm going to assume that this person coming over to my site is a web designer. And they're reading articles on my site about proposals. That's the most common kind of article they've been reading. So I'm going to take my email course opt-in and I'm going to change the way I describe it to say, you know, literally designers colon learn how to close more proposals click here, right? So it's kind of, in a way, it becomes a dynamic lead magnet that's in between a content upgrade and a generic universal opt-in. And what I've seen is before I was, when I was doing just my normal site-wide opt-in thing, I would get about 2% of people uh, opting in. With these dynamic lead magnets, I'm getting about 5%, so about a 250% increase in uh, opt-ins just from changing literally the way I described that opt-in on the page, on the footer of the blog, uh, blog post. And then the articles I have that have content upgrades that are very in line and very relevant to the article itself, they're still getting upwards of you know, eight to 10% opt-in rates. So it, it's this, it's, it all, all has to do with relevance. And, and I think a lot of people don't really think about, well, if somebody was Googling around and they landed organically on this article that's about X, is promoting my thing that has nothing to do conceptually with this topic going to work well. Now, it will work again. If it didn't, then no one would have subscribers or anything. But what we're starting to see is, and not we're starting to see, but that we're seeing is that, and it makes a lot of sense why, the more relevant the thing that you're asking them to do next, the better. So in my case, I'm looking at, well, what kind of, what kind of work do I think they do based on who sent them or... Um, what kind of, uh, you know, do they land on an article that I'm targeting uh, or that's targeting marketers? If so, I'm going to assume they're probably a marketer. If they landed on a how to start a marketing business article and they got there from Google, I'm going to assume that they were Googling for how do I start a marketing business? So I don't, I'm not going to assume they're a designer at that point. So that's, that's that one kind of uh, 
categorization that I'll do. And the other is content consumption. What kind of stuff are they reading? And what does that tell me about their interests? If somebody's really looking for help with uh, marketing, then they probably have a marketing problem. They might not have a, a pricing problem or a um, you know starting a business problem or, or something like that, right? So just by taking those two things into account and literally changing the way I describe the opt-in that everyone sees and repositioning it, I've been able to get and go from 2% to 5% kind of across the board, uh, which is you know, just means effectively <laughs> my list grows 250% more than it was before I did that. So, I mean, we're seeing, and this isn't just unique to me. I mean, a lot of our customers and a lot of other people um, who have done things like this are seeing consistently higher results because, again, they're able to make the thing they're advertising or promoting more relevant to the individual uh, it's put in front of. Has there been anything, uh, as you get access to this data for your own site or maybe... Uh, especially as this is scaled out to other customers, has there been anything that you guys have seen that has truly surprised you? I mean, either positive or negative. I mean, obviously, 250% lift on an opt-in um, is huge because that's a lot more leads or a lot more uh, people to potentially market to. Uh, but has there been anything that really like surprised you where you were like, I didn't think that that was going to be like that and that's how it is? Well, there's a few things that have surprised me about how people have used the technology, um, one of which was somebody created a kind of like a scorecard that they would send their subscribers to, and it would basically give them rewards on a page. Kind of like if, I mean, it's just a it's kind of a, a poor man's approach to building out a custom <laughs> kind of like, you know, dynamic page thing. So I guess some people are using it for that reason, um, or one person is at least, which I thought was a little surprising, but the thing that I think is the most creative use of this is, uh, I don't know the best thing to call it. I'm going to call it, I guess, demographic harvesting. And that is, uh, a lot of us do Facebook ads, right? It, maybe we retarget people who hit our site or we're just, I mean, I've seen, I just saw yours like two hours ago on my Facebook feed. Um, you know, we, we have these ads that are, we're either targeting cold traffic or we're retargeting people. Now, What's possible, and this is where I'm really interested in seeing what people are able to do with this, is what if we could pull data out of Facebook into and onto our, you know, into our internal CRM, into the thing that we're, you know, where we track different things about people on our list. And, and what I mean by that is I've seen um, companies that will say, have a, a single ad, right? So say they're retargeting any traffic to their site and they have an ad. But then they're going to create two versions of, the, of that ad, one of which targets men, the other targets women. And then what they're doing is whenever anyone clicks, say they click through uh, from that ad back to their site, if they're already a subscriber or a customer, they'll annotate their subscriber or customer record with that information because they're pulling it in a way piecemeal from Facebook. Or if they're not, um, say they're driving them to an opt-in page, once they do opt in, they're then going to annotate that up. And I've seen people, for instance, let's say um, a good example of this would be, let's say you have a big um, health and fitness website and uh, you have articles ranging from strength training to how to sleep better, right? If somebody organically uh, is searching around for articles on, say, creatine, they type in you know, creatine review, they land on this website, they read this article about creatine review. 
stuff. Um, there's a Facebook pixel on that page. They don't opt in or anything, but they do get a ad in their newsfeed. But that ad might be only targeting, say, women 18 to 30. So they're going to see an ad about you know, how to increase your, uh, how, to, how to get better at strength training or something. And maybe it's a, the ad, the image on the ad is maybe a picture of a younger woman. So they click through. Now they opt in. Well, what do we know? We know they're interested in strength training based off of what they've been reading. They're 18 to 30 years old and they're female. And now we have three different pieces of data that we're, we can then store on their record. So then let's say a month later, they're looking, we, we launched some product or something of ours and we drive our list to our sales page. Well, we can do things like making it so all the testimonials of the product are going to be other you know, 18 to 30 year old women. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, it can get really big brothery, to be honest, but the potential there where you're able to do things that work really well offline, every decent salesperson on the planet is going to not read off a script, but they're going to tailor a core pitch based off of, you know, how are you behaving or what do we know about you and all this different stuff. And it's just being able to do that in a way that doesn't require that one-on-one interaction. That's the kind of stuff, seeing things like pulling data out of Facebook piecemeal, that data, you know, Facebook's not going to say, given this, this person's email address, give every bit of info we have about them. They don't, for, for really good reasons, they don't allow you to do that. But by segmenting your ads, you're running to people, you know that if, an, if you're targeting women and you get a click on that ad, well, that click, is, that click was done by a woman, right? So that's the kind of stuff that I think is, um, that's one of the most interesting ways I've seen people uh, use this technology to, um, to kind of enrich, if you will, their, um, their list. Is, is there a minimum viable size uh, of list or of traffic? I mean, you've talked a lot about uh, very data-focused insights on you know, traffic or sources or learning the stuff about your audience. Uh, for, for people that are out there maybe thinking about uh, using a tool like yours or others out there um, to bring personalization to their business, is there kind of a, a minimum starting size that they should be thinking about before it's relevant for them? Yeah, I mean, we get, that's one of the big questions we get. It's, it seems like this is best when there's high volume, right? And so you have a lot of tens of thousands of visitors and stuff, similar to A-B testing, right? Where you need to have serious traffic to make it work. Um, the thing that I've, so when I was doing my agency, we had a client who built, yeah, built and sold yachts. And it was interesting because they had maybe like 15 people a month go to their site. It was very, very low traffic. But they told me, we need one customer a year to basically stay in business. You know, so they, they, when you look at their average customer value, it's in the millions. So for, for them, they were super, <laughs> probably the lowest volume thing I've ever seen in terms of, um, you know, as a business, right? And the thing that stuck with me from that was, you know, so I've seen people, for instance, and I've done this myself, where it, let's say you go to a networking event and you meet five people that night. And then um, you load them into your CRM. And you look at their business cards and you say, okay, Brent is in this space. Uh, you know, Mary's in that space. And you kind of annotate, maybe maybe you track this information in your CRM. Maybe you have an industry field. Well, what you could do would be, I mean, imagine that you go to an event, you meet five people and you, you link them back to your site. 
um, you say, hey, you know, check out check out my site uh, to find out more about what we do. You can make it so when when Marion Retail clicks through, uh, she's seeing a very retail focused, slightly different site. And then say a minute later, Bob clicks through and he's in construction. He's seeing a very construction focused site. Uh, you know, a few minutes in, or a, you know, right then. And the thing is, you're not. You know, these are like with. It's like the whole question of like, what role does a website have for a consulting business? Well, it's not. You know, we typically don't have a buy now button on our on our consulting sites. There's, it's it's a part of a bigger uh, sales strategy, right? So, anything that we can do to make ourselves more that kind of perfect fit. That's a good thing, right? So if Mary in uh, retail is seeing a very retail-focused agency, then when she decides, maybe I'm going to reach back out or reply to that email or follow up and maybe get coffee with them or something, there's more of a likelihood, I think, of that happening typically if she's more confident that this agency is more able to help her, right? So I don't really think there's... I mean, obviously, you can get more statistical significance at higher volume, but for, you know, high touch, low volume, you know, five plus figure uh, projects or, or transactions or whatever else, even then I think um, the nuance that the, that this kind of stuff affords in my mind makes it worthwhile. Since our audience is primarily agency owners that are delivering services to clients, whether that's web design or marketing and, and, and such. Uh, are you seeing adoption from uh, service businesses to leverage your platform or this idea of personalization for client work? And uh, if so, how can somebody get started uh, down that path? Because this seems like a really high value billable skill. If I could help yeah. you know, this yacht guy, right? Uh, if I could help him <laughs> sell one more yacht a year, I mean, that could be a five or six figure <laughs> marketing contract, right? <laughs> right. So right. Yeah, I mean, well, that that's, I mean, we've actually, I don't know how much of it is because of my other business, but about half of the people who follow us and are actually now customers are, uh, are consultants, they're agency owners, they're freelancers, they're something. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're thinking, this is a competitive advantage for me because I can effectively upsell my web design clients, let's say, on not only will I build you a great marketing site, but I'll make it a reactive marketing site. You know, that's the buzzword I'm getting people to use, right? Where it's reacting to the signals that the people on that site are using. Where we're able to do things like if it's an e-commerce site and a returning customer comes back, well, we can speak to them differently than we would a somebody brand new. Or if somebody comes back and they've already bought product A and they're looking at product B, we describe product B differently to them. So it's a huge competitive advantage for them. And so we're actually now... It's funny you ask. We're, we just yesterday launched our um, certified partner program where we're trying to basically help agencies uh, not only get good at this stuff, but also sell it or upsell it, I, I guess, to their clients. Um, but I, what I would say to anyone listening is, you know, it's like with anything. How do you sell A-B testing to a client? Well, what I would say is that uh, the first go of any website, let's say, is going to be based off of best guesses and or and best practices. But until there's production data, we're never going to have the perfect website. So why do we sell A-B testing on a, you know, an optimization retainer? Well, we do it because we can make that website more valuable over time uh, by running 
you know, monthly experience experiments or something like that, right? So I'm encouraging people kind of to do the same thing here where you know, do something like an A-B testing engagement that you upsell, but also maybe do a personalization engagement that you upsell where um, we're not just going to give you a, I mean, it requires more work in that. You need to do a little more persona uh, discovery work and try to figure out, well, what are the different types of people? And, you know, the people who really latch onto this are copywriters because they don't need to try to come up with that common denominator copy any longer. They can just say, well, if they're in this segment, say this headline. And if they're in that segment, say that headline. Um, and, but, I, but I would say, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's so many people that are basically following us who are into, who are agencies who are really getting into this and really do th- see this as being a really, I mean, there's a bit of uniqueness to it kind of like, I guess with messenger bots and, you know, a few years ago in marketing automation and so on. But um, I, I think there's also, it makes a lot, it's an easy sell and that you just literally tell the business owner, um, you know, sell me on your product and then they give you their pitch. And then you kind of psychoanalyze them afterward and say, well, I think you said it this because you know this about me. And I think you said that because I'm in technology and you said this because of that. And you're able to point out how we naturally do this, how we naturally, like if, you know, Brent, if you were to ask me, how my business is doing right now, I would talk to you as a peer who has a business kind of in the same space. And I would describe it that way versus if I go to a local networking mixer down the street and some like, you know, real estate agent asks me about my business, I'm going to describe it very differently. So it's an easy sell in that sense. It's an easy sell in that, look, this is what, ask anybody who's been involved in sales before, do you do this? The answer is always yes. So the, the next question is, well, what role does your website have in your sales process? And for some companies, it, it plays a big role. You know, maybe that's where the sale happens entirely. Maybe they have no sales team, but they want the benefit that high-touch sales afford, which is personalized messaging, but on their uh, more or less static website. I think this this plays really well with some of the big trends that we see in in the web space right now. I mean, automation plus personalization. I mean, I feel like you have a very uh, potent combination of uh, your marketing, not just getting you know more powerful, but also uh, being able to do it at scale and 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 do what we really want to do one on one at scale, right? Which is is I think you know exactly to your point is is customizing a message tailoring it based on the information you know through discovery processes and, and all the things that we do naturally or maybe with a little bit of training, you're basically making the computer and making code do that on on our behalf, which is a very powerful tool. Right, exactly. Well, Brennan, this has been super fascinating. Um, in, in a couple of minutes here, we'll, we'll ask you where people can find out more about you. Um, but we close every one of our shows with our lightning round. Uh, are you ready Ooh. for this, uh, this series of intense <laughs> we'll questions? Find out. Yes. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? Uh... Business advice? I'll let you take it where you want to go. (laughs) Okay. I'll say the best business advice because that's easier for me to think of right now. Um, I think it was when I was starting out with the agency and we were growing and I was really trying to figure out, well, how do we kind of get over this this hump that I kind of saw us at? 
And I think it was a local mentor who told me once that people, you know, Brennan, people aren't spending 20 grand on you because they love your code. You know, they're spending it because they think that your code will help them achieve some business outcome that's more valuable than what they're putting into it. And it clicked. I mean, that made total sense to me, but stupid engineer me was so clinging to my own code and the craftsmanship of our work. And I'm, I'm not discounting the importance of all that, but I didn't realize that until that light bulb moment. So I would say that that was big for me because that changed, that that made everything more benefit versus feature focused from then on out. And um, it, it's impacted everything ever since, I think. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Um, I think reading. I think um, I've always liked to read. And uh, I think it, it helps me with my own writing, but also with um, communication, talking with people. So, yeah. Can you share uh, an internet resource, a tool that you use besides your own uh, that you think our listeners would find valuable? Um, hmm. Well, one thing I've been using <laughs> is if you're like me and you have a million uh, Google Apps accounts, uh, from, for the Mac, I have an app called Kiwi for Gmail I just started using a few weeks ago. And it gets it kind of circumvents that whole, if you've ever tried to, you know, you want to be in a Google Drive for account A, but you're in account B, and then there's, it's just annoying. It makes it really simple to juggle multiple email accounts, multiple Google Drives and calendars and so on. Um, so that's the one that's most front of mind just because I've, I've been really, it's made things quite a bit easier for me over the last few weeks. And that's called Kiwi, and we'll uh, Kiwi, we'll link out K-I- to that in our show notes. K I Y, cool, or K I W I. I'm sorry. And what book would you recommend, and why? Hmm. Um. Hmm. Very good question. <laughs> so as, as an avid reader, book. so you're you're, you're like <laughs> well, I, I usually read nonfiction. I usually don't. I don't tend to read a lot of business books. Um. So let me try to think of a good business book that I would recommend. And um, it could be business or, or nonfiction or I mean, anything okay. that's well, the business book I liked uh, recently has been peak. Um, I forgot the guy who wrote it. I think it's he had a Scandinavian name. <laughs> um, peak was good. Uh, but in terms of other, um, uh, other books that I've read that I've enjoyed lately. Um, one of which is uh, uh, what do you call it? What was it called? Um, Shoe Dog. Actually, that was a business book. I don't know. Have you read Shoe Dog? I have not. Any chance? So the, the guy who founded Nike. Super good. Actually, it was more of a biography than a business book, but it was about all the stuff he had to put up with when getting Nike off the ground, all the funding issues. He Apparently, they were basically broke for the first decade. Um, they were dealing with government issues. Uh, it was just really, really good book about just a guy who persevered and you know, now has is one of the wealthiest people on the planet. Um, yeah, Shoe Dog was really good. Reads really well too. It, it, it was one of those books that just reads well. Nice. So we've got two two good good recommendations from somebody that is an avid reader. We'll link out to those uh, in our show notes for you guys if you're interested in Peak or Shoe Dog. Uh, just take a look at our website, go to podcast, and find the one where uh, Brennan Dunn is on there, and we'll uh, we'll send you guys to the right place. Um, and finally, can you tell our audience how they can find out more about you? And is there anything that you have that uh, they might find valuable? 
Yeah. So um, the main website now is ratemessage.com, R-I-G-H-T message.com. We're actually, I don't know when this will go live, but we're actually working on something that's actually, I'm really happy with uh, in that I think it's something people really need to to know. And that is a, uh, a resource we're putting together that will help people value their funnel start to finish. So let's say you're a consulting business. How do you come up with the average value per customer, value per subscriber slash audience member, and then value per visitor? Ditto for e-commerce companies and so on. And this has been helpful for, for me at least because I've been able to directly see what effect does personalization have in the valuation of my funnel? So what, how much more valuable are visitors now? How much more valuable are subscribers now? And how can I break that down against different segments that I'm tracking? And what that's helped me with is uh, knowing what are the different kinds of people or personas that are buying for me or signing up to my stuff and which ones are the most valuable and which ones are the least valuable and the ones that are most valuable I'm actively trying to get more of right now. And the ones that are least valuable, I'm uh, trying to figure out, well, where, what's getting lost in communication and how can I, how can I fix that? So that's, again, at rightmessage.com, we're going to be featuring this uh, pretty prominently once it's up. Um, so that's the, that's the best way for the business side. Uh, if you want to say hi to me on Twitter or whatnot, uh, I'm just Brennan Dunn, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, uh, D-U-N-N. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to find me. Awesome. We'll link out to your software and your Twitter account as well in our show notes. And uh, want to just thank you for stopping by the program today, Brennan. This has been a fascinating show and we appreciate the recommendations as well as the uh, deep insights into personalization. Yeah, thanks, Brent. All right, guys, that is our show for this week. Stay tuned for more great content for digital agencies coming your way each and every week on the Digital Agency Show. Until then, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now, it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 